Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today, we talk to Catherine McClellan, class of 2007, and a doctor of physical therapy. Catherine is going to tell us how her experience in competitive swimming in high school led to an interest in physiology and launched her career in physical therapy and continues her research as a resident in orthopedics at the University of Southern California's Division of Biokinesiology and Physical Therapy. Joining us from the class of 2007 is Catherine McClelland. Catherine, what do you do? Hi, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. So, Catherine, how did you begin the path to become a doctor of physical therapy? Well, my path did start at West Chicago High School uh, way back in the day. And from athletics and studying the human body, um, I just became more and more interested in how um, how activity and nutrition, things along that those lines can help us with our healthy lifestyle. Was there like an incidents uh that or like something like where it it just it clicked with you uh where you're like I think this is what I want to do yeah it's funny that you mentioned that so um back in high school actually I was on the swim team uh we were coached by Dan Johnson and we would go through at the beginning of our season kind of what our training program would look like and what um, different energy systems we'd use and kind of a physiology component to our training Uh, And that's kind of what got me on the road to asking questions about, well, if our body does responds like this, how can we create a stimulus for change that is positive, that people are going to get better? Um, And my real question came down to during college was, um, well, I want to be a a doctor that prescribes exercise as medicine. And so that's kind of where I was like, well, that's a doctor physical therapy. So once you graduate from high school at WeGo, where did you go from there? Um, So after I graduated, um, I actually swam at the University of Illinois at Chicago for a couple of years. Uh, And then I transferred out to California, uh, finished my collegiate athlete experience at uh, Biola University. And then uh, from there, I continued in education um, and worked at a human performance lab and worked in some um, more professional athlete testing and strength and conditioning. First of all, what was it like to be a collegiate athlete? It was a great experience. I really enjoyed um, being in the classroom and the discipline of getting up for practice. And you go into college and right away you have a family, you have a community of people that are very supportive, and they're walking a very similar journey to you. It's it's not easy, I'll be very honest with you. Um, just your schedule, you have to say no to a lot of the typical um, college experiences, I mean, extracurriculars, that kind of thing, but it's definitely worth it um, for the relationships that you build and um, just like the discipline you you have there. What what's what's a typical type of training regimen just for a collegiate swimmer that you um that you would uh, like let's say a daily practice like what's what's that like yeah how, so, maybe how is that even more intense maybe than what you did in high school yeah so swimmers are uh, we're a little nutty in that we just love mornings 
Um, but I mean, high school kind of did prepare me for that, but we would typically start practice at around five, five fifteen. We usually go into the weight room. Um, and then that practice in the morning would be split with about an hour in the pool. Um, you go to class, well, don't forget you go to breakfast. Then you would go to class. Um, go to class till about two or three PM. Um, and then we have another like two hour practice in the evening. Go back, do some homework, that kind of thing. And then but there was a lot of fun um team activities. We get to travel on the weekends to different meets and that was pretty awesome. Now where were some of the places that you got to travel to? Um so uh, my first school, we did a training trip down to Florida, which was cool. So you get to escape the winter of Chicago and go two weeks. We would train at the um, the Hall of Fame, the Swimming Hall of Fame down there. Uh, and then out here in California, we did a lot of trips either up into Northern California. We would go out to Arizona, um, down into like more of the Southern California area. So a lot of fun road trips. Wow, that's so neat. All yeah. right. So now, so that's what you did for the the athletic side of your uh, college experience. What was then the type of coursework that you did to get you prepared for physical therapy? Yeah, to get ready uh, ready for physical therapy, uh, we did a lot of anatomy, physiology, um, some of the weed out classes, and I think this term has been used before in some of the other um, alums is those classes that you really have to dig deep because it's it's hard, but your profession you're going into is hard. So it's kind of preparing you. You're like, why am I studying chemical equations? Um, so a lot of chemistry, physics, those kind of things, but they're preparing you for that next step. Um, and then after like in a grad, graduate level, um, we got to learn more of the fun stuff, the hands-on physiology labs, doing um, exercise testing was awesome. Um, and then doing some research, I had some research opportunities as well. So that's when you really get into that fun stuff um, because you have that foundation. What were some of the weed out classes uh, for physical therapy? I've always heard in the sciences, I, I always bring this up because I've heard it over the years, when, even when I was in college, they say like organic chem is so difficult. Uh, was that the one in your line of study that was one of the weed out classes or was it something else? Well, I'll be completely uh, honest with you. Yeah. So we had regular, like a just general chemistry um, and then to physics classes. Those were pretty challenging. And one of the reasons, I'll be completely honest with you, that I I kind of changed my major was because I did not want to take organic chemistry. And it wasn't <laughs> yeah, I was, not, I was right. I, I it seems to yeah. be the focal point for so many different it's, uh, it's students. The yeah. And I was like, you know, I want a, a, a job where I'm a little more applied. Like physical therapy you are with a patient 45 minutes, 60 minutes at a time, you're really building a relationship. And um, so that's kind of, that was the thing I was like, you know, what kind of provider do I want to be? And that was definitely in the, uh, in the PT category. Now, which were the classes that you really started to like enjoy and, and, and get into either undergrad or graduate level? Yeah, sure. Um, so undergrad, I really loved exercise physiology and these classes 
if you're into any kind of sporting or um, just seeing how the human body it was capable of doing any kind of athletics, um, this is where you learn more about um, energy systems. We do like maximal exercise tests, which sounds horrible and like can feel horrible, um, but you just see um, like what's your oxygen consumption levels during like a high uh, high level task are say like a running. Um, we would do like body composition. We did underwater weighing, uh, vertical jump testing. Uh, a lot of the work that we did in um, the strength lab in my graduate program was um, for, we did uh, work with the NHL and um, preseason hockey testing. So, all right, so how how much energy are you able to conserve throughout the whole game? What's your strength level? Seeing what, um, what these really high level athletes are capable of. So that was pretty fun. So, and was that the, the the performance lab that you described earlier? That's the those are the type of work that you did there. Yes, correct. What was your favorite? Now, did you get to design any experiments yourself? And what was that like? Yeah, I did, and that was really fun. Uh, this is where all that uh, scientific method comes into play. Um, my project was looking at um, fatigue. So what we did was there's a a famous test by this this guy named Thorstensen and it's basically you're um, doing a leg extension and you're seeing what what kind of muscle composition um, based on your performance you would have so just to be basic um, like an endurance runner versus a basketball player they have very different muscle composition because the endurance runner has to keep going right for 26 miles whereas your basketball player maybe they have some timeouts or um, they have to be able to jump very high, very quickly. So it's a very different um, kind of body composition. So um, I was looking at that in my our study. And then part of that was actually taking muscle biopsies um, to see what the actual muscle composition was. And that was pretty cool um, just to be a part of that and analyze some tissue, you could say. Wow. Okay. So yeah. the next question is, uh, if, if you could say like, is there a, is there a hierarchy of athletes that seem to be more optimally designed or have the type of muscle tissue that you would say like, yeah, th this is, this is the peak type of athlete based upon the physiology of, of the science that you just saw. Well, that I could get, I could go on. How much time do you have? <laughs> as, long, as long as we got. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, um, so I, that definitely is a it depends question. So one of our main uh, things we talk about, especially in athletics, is the sport chooses you. And yeah. it's kind of like, what is your body composition? What is the certain shape? You can, and it's not a better or worse, like black and white category whatsoever. Um, your, your 18 year old or the Bulls just got a, a 19 year old and he's like six eight, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Is he going to be out doing Olympic weightlifting where his long lever arms are not very ideal and taking a barbell from the floor to over his head? Probably not. Um, are you're going to have a very tall, um, maybe heavier set individual doing a marathon at a very high level? 
possibly not. So it kind of depends on um, some of the genetic factors as well as what the training, because your body is very adaptable. And that's something that um, is really, I found is very, very interesting and just how the training stimulus, um, what happens at, at a physiological level. It is interesting that sometimes the, the, that the body chooses the sport. There was a great Ted talk. I believe his name was, uh, was it David Epstein wrote a book and try to remember his latest yeah, the, book. The sport gene. Yes. The sports gene. Thank you. That's the one. Yeah. So you did grad work, but then how does grad work then make you become a doctor of physiology? Sure. A uh, doctor of physical therapy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Doc, yeah. So let me repeat myself. Uh, so sure. you did your, your grad work, but then how does that lead you to be a doctor of physical therapy? Sure. And I think I should, uh, just to mention, yeah. So I did my grad work um, at the Center for Sport Performance with Dr. Lee Brown and Dr. Andy Galpin. And so they're, like the guidance that we had on that project, it was pretty in-depth. Um, and so it was just a very... I would say very good experience in laying a foundation of understanding the scientific method and going through the research process. Um, so I was kind of torn, like after graduate program of that level, um, you have a few options in terms of, do you want to go on to a PhD or um, you can go into some more teaching generally in like a collegiate level. Um, and so for me, I still had this nagging, gut feeling like I wanted a more of an impact and teaming up with people on that one-on-one level or even like a small group level um, to implement some of these things that we're learning. So uh, a a very uh, elite athlete population, it's very different from your, you know, weekend warrior or I would say 99% of, um, of the participants in any kind of sporting event. Um, so that's kind of where I was like, well, I want, I want to go on, where can I do that? Um, and that was in um, physical therapy. And, and so when, how long did it take you to go from the graduate and then to then become the doctor of physical therapy? Yeah. So, uh, that was a period of time. Actually, uh, when I came back to West Chicago, um, and did some, teaching and some coaching and shout out to my favorite coach coach McClelland okay <laughs> uh, um but you I mean to be to be honest Co- uh, coach McClelland obviously my father um Mr. Saner coach Walner um I've had so many great coaches and so much of physical therapy and teaming up with my patients comes from coaching education um, finding out what's important to the patient uh, so that we can work together to help them um, get better. Now, how did you then, so you came back here and then how did you, um, what's where you, did you do your doctoral work uh, here in the Midwest or was that also done back out in California? Yeah, it was actually in the Midwest and um, this may for a point for students is actually I did my um, work at Northwestern at Feinberg School of Medicine, and I had applied to Northwestern um, coming out of high school and actually didn't get in. And um, it was like my dream. I really wanted to go to Northwestern, Big Ten school. How awesome. And I didn't get in. And I just think that's a a testament. Maybe I wouldn't have been ready or um, I'm very happy with the way 
my journey turned out. It brought me to where I am today. Um, so I had that opportunity to go back to Chicago um, and be able to uh, go to Northwestern. So you finish up at Northwestern on the, it was at the Evanston campus? Uh, it's actually right downtown on Michigan Avenue. Okay. Okay. So nice you, piece you were, of real estate. Yeah. No, no doubt. I, I think I know exactly where that is. Yeah. So then how did you get back to California then? Yeah. From Northwestern, um, after physical therapy school, um, we have the option to go on and it's a more of a voluntary program to specialize in certain areas of physical therapy. And so right now I'm doing a residency program here at the University of Southern California. So what are some of the things that you're working on for this, the, the new, this, so will we call it a new degree or a new certification? How, how would we describe it? Sure. So uh, the residency in physical therapy is a specialty certificate. And if you think about like, let's go with a surgeon, you have like a plastic surgeon, a cardiovascular surgeon, um, uh, internal medicine, et cetera, right? Orthopedic surgeon. So with physical therapy, you're a licensed therapist, and then you go on for this certification. Um, and so I'm working in an orthopedic setting, and this might be in a private practice or a hospital, um, even in an inpatient, like a post-surgical um, scenario. But there's other specialties as well, like pediatrics or uh, neurology, working with patients after they've had a brain injury or a stroke, um, spinal cord injury, something like that. So I'm working in orthopedics. So Catherine, can you tell me what's a typical day like for you? Sure. So the residency program is cool because you have opportunities for teaching, performing research, and um, being mentored by expert clinicians. So throughout the week, we have time to go in uh, and we're in a clinic, a physical therapy clinic like you might uh, expect. But we do have the supervision and the um, ability to kind of pick the brain of mentors who have 30, 40 years of experience. And then the other opportunity is we're able to teach within the physical therapy program and see the other side um, of education at the graduate level. And the other um, opportunity is being uh, participating and running different research projects uh, or developing programs that can be used even after we're done with the residency. So th those are like three really unique, different elements that are in your in your day. Uh, which one surprised you that you end up liking maybe more than you, you knew that you would of the three um, the three things that you do there? I would say they're all have their unique um, characteristics. I do really enjoy um, changing roles and putting on those different hats. Um, I think one of the most rewarding is definitely being in the classroom. Um, because I was very recently in physical therapy school. Um, so seeing people learn and just how much growth um, these physical therapy students have is probably one of the most rewarding. In ed education, there was a guy named Vygotsky. I forgot his first name. And he had this kind of theory of zone of proximal development, which is that you can have these kind of like very attainable wins, even though you might take a step back in what you do. And I would imagine that as a, a doctor in physical therapy, you have to kind of blend two things very delicately, which is you're obviously preparing uh, someone's body to become healthy again, 
but that only can happen as the mind is emotionally ready to to move forward. How did you how do you um how do you approach that strategy with your patients? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is not just a physical um, preparation, but it is mental. And one of the things that um, I took from my clinical experience was a quote um, that's right on the wall as you come in. It says, the soul moves first. And I think it's so true either in the classroom or in the clinic, wherever it might be, that the person has to be ready internally um, in their mind and in their soul, like deep who they are to really push in um, to get better because uh, it is a team team effort. What was one of your triumphant types of success stories with a, a patient where you're like, maybe like one of your first ones where you're like, yeah, I think I, I got this. Like it was like just a really, like you knew that you arrived. Yeah. Well, I, I'll be honest, Mr. Turnbow, I definitely have not arrived. Um, but um one of those was on a rotation with a patient with multiple multiple sclerosis, and they were just working. They were having a flare up. So um, in MS, the disease takes over, and so it's very hard to move your appendages to walk. Um, your mind is completely intact, but it's like I want my arm to pick up a cup, and it will take longer for that nerve signal to get to my hand to pick up that cup. Um, it can be very, very frustrating for patients. And this patient in particular was getting uh, very frustrated. We were just trying to working on gait training. So that's how you walk. Um, and we just sat down and we'd been working for a while and uh, we were in, um, in the PT gym and we walked and we did about no, no more than 15 steps, about 10 to 15 steps, um, but just long enough. And that was progress from where we had been. Um, so it's just very difficult movement in general. And so we sat back down in the, in the wheelchair and then she just starts crying. And I was like trying to keep it together. Um, and she was just telling me like how much this means to her and um, just that value component came back back, you know, like she was able, I can go to the bathroom now by myself. And she had some of this independence back that she had been losing um, over time. So that was a time that it just, it really was real to me, the work that we're doing and that partnership was there. And I was so proud. I was like, I mean, I've been here, but you did such a great job. And um, so that was just really, really special, something that kind of keeps me motivated. What do you think would be like for current wildcats? What's what's good preventative care for their bodies as they continue training or even begin training? Because it, it is January, everyone's got new uh, new uh, health uh, goals. Hopefully, what's what's some good advice just on that level? Sure. So just I mean, general um, information, non medical specific advice. If you, I don't know if I need a disclaimer that. Um, <laughs> okay. Sorry, answering the question. Uh, yes. So general information, uh, making sure you're staying hydrated, getting enough sleep and just getting outside, doing some even up, up to like a 10, 20 minute walk um, is just ways you can kind of keep your body feeling good. And like we've been trying to talking about, a lot of it is mental. So you're getting outside, um, even though it's cold over in Illinois right now, but 
um, getting outside, getting some fresh air, keeping your body hydrated and getting some sleep, which I know is so hard. Even the basic, those basics um, can feel like a lot, especially right now. Um, so what those things do, even um, the research has shown that even five, 10 minutes of walking activates different areas of the brain. So I know like high school classes, I think maybe they're like 50 minutes with a break um, between, um, but taking those couple minutes, stand up, move around a little bit, your brain actually will signal different areas um, and actually you'll feel more awake. So as an English teacher, you know, I'm always interested in metaphors, comparisons, analogies, and all of that. It seems like the human body is just always perfect for, uh, and the healing process or in the science of what you do as a physical therapy uh, doctor. Um, what's your favorite metaphor as applied to the human body? Sure. Um, you know, let's stick with the coaching theme here. I, I think that your hum- the human body is a lot like a team right? Um, So there's different systems working together. If one of your systems is like, hey, I'm not feeling so good, the other systems try to compensate or adapt to um, heal. So you think your immune system, and specifically now with COVID, everything like that, okay, your immune system responds to try and improve your respiratory system, right? That might be attacked. So um, it's kind of a team in that it's adapting. Um, The other thing is that it it can build each other up, right? So I'm thinking specifically, um, we take an injured tissue, let's say someone hurt their knee, um, and we want to make it stronger. We're working with the muscle and the skeletal, muscular system and the skeletal system together. Okay, how can we make that stronger so that you can get out and you can walk and it improves your um, your, um, sorry, it improves your cardiovascular system. So all of these systems are working together, um, led by, I I would say like a coach is like your brain, right? So that's kind of directing and reply, responding to the stimulus, um, at the, um, outside of your body. So yeah, there's a lot going, there's a lot going on in there. Those that are going to enter into the medical field. And, you know, one of the things that they do in their medical training is that uh, they have to do a cadaver lab. Um, how, what was that experience like? Is that something that you're ever prepared for? Or how do you, how do you psychologically even prepare for that? Yeah. So that was actually one of the things that got me even more interested in the human body was uh, we did a field trip with Dr. Murphy's anatomy class. We went to, um, I think it was like COD and, and toured their anatomy lab. And it just fascinated me so much that um, learning more and the sacrifice that people um, provide in learning for future medical students. Um, so that's something it's very, very precious. It's definitely a, a gift to be able to um, learn on a cadaver and doing dissections and things along those lines. And the people that donate their bodies, um, they, I mean, it's a sacrifice for them and for their families, but it's definitely providing so much for the future of medicine. And you can go in and um, the process is very respectful and always remembering like this is 
this was, you know, a, a living being and a human. Um, and but going in and learning on the actual body itself, it's very, very tangible. You can take that uh, into the clinic and being able to see it firsthand and um, then apply it. It's just, it's such a great learning experience. Is there a part of the body or the range of motion that a body can do that has captured your imagination? I would say this does kind of fluctuate, uh, but right now we've been doing a lot of work and uh, reading literature on treating the foot. And you think, oh, the foot, like how we walk, but going, moving up the chain um, is really huge. The other one I think is underrated is um, the elbow. We've learned a ton about the elbow. You think, well, how am I going to get this coffee cup, this water bottle to my mouth if I don't have the elbow range of motion? Or how am I going to squat down and pick something up off the ground if I don't have that ankle range of motion? So those two right now, I think to be honest, it's, it's, that's a very hard question. Um, but we're learning just so much about, um, uh, I would say foot and elbow right now. It's, it, I mean, cause it, it makes sense. Cause that's, that's something that, you know, we don't think about at all, but would be the absolute, um, concentration uh, of someone because it, it would be the linchpin for that person who does need to go through some type of physical therapy to learn how to bring a, a fork to their mouth after an injury or whatever it may be. Like they, they need to know the full scope of what that uh, motion would be. So it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those structures, they have, uh, there's a lot happening in terms of vascularity, nerves running through, um, very tight area, especially in the elbow where um, all of the uh, muscles of the, well, a lot of the muscles of the wrist um, and um, coming down from the shoulder uh, cross over. And so there's just a lot in a very small space. So that's something that I was really fascinated by just, all right, how do we tease out what structure is um, affected? Because it's such a small space and so much going on. And like you said, right, so much, uh, it's very connected to um, function every day. You kind of take it for granted if you don't, you don't think about it. Is there, is there one space in physical therapy that's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle, which is like, it's the hardest for physical therapy doctors to kind of figure out, like, it's just like, it, it's just like, it's anyone's guess or uh, is, is there a part that's just really more difficult to, to provide that level of care and therapy for? I would say one aspect is pain science and the effect that that has either on um, the tissue that might be injured or a psychological effect. So uh, deciphering pain, I don't know, you know, you, you go to the doctor and you get the pain scale, um, at zero to 10, where's your pain at? And we talk about pain so much, but it is very, very complex topic. Either it can change daily, it can change based on how a person's mood state is. Um, so I think pain science right now is an area that's really up and coming um, because physical therapy can have a really big effect or really big effect on, on patient function and handling um, pain. So I think for right now, uh, pain science is kind of this mystery, we, we use the scale a lot, but we're just learning uh, more and more through the research on the complexity of pain, either how you report it or um, what's actually happening, like you said, kind of in the, in the body. Is, is there like a cool technology that, that you get to use that 
that you see have the most immediate impact that uh, that we don't know about? More where a pressure sensation turns into a pain sensation. And uh, so there's a qualitative and a quantitative component. Uh, so right now we're actually looking at a pain pressure threshold with it's a device called the algometer. And basically, uh, it's a small little force transduce transducer that you can put on the actual area of pain or at a, a site that, let's say your shoulder hurts, you could put um, test where pain is on the lower leg and see, okay, are we still having pain here, even though there's nothing, quote unquote, wrong or, or injured at that site, but how does pain kind of affect the whole body? Um, and then... Uh, kind of going back to what you said, the pain vocabulary that you're that's spot on because you have treated patients that may come in with uh, a different speaking a different language and they would describe pain, but pain tells us a lot of things. It can be a pressure, it can feeling full, it can feel tingling, it can feel numbness, you know. So all of these things, how am I communicating and asking questions to um, understand what my patient's actually feeling? And you're that's right. It's like what is the vocabulary and allowing patients to have that vocabulary to describe what's going on so we can be more effective. There's so much that you have to learn about the body in terms of like body parts and that this has a particular name in Latin and, and all of that. How how would you describe the, the, the way in which learning medicine and, and what it, it, where it's initially like you have to learn, there's a, voc a learning curve for vocabulary, but then you have to learn how all those things kind of come together. It just, it seems much more unique than, you know, I was just an English major. It was like, okay, well, what does Shakespeare mean about this? You know, there's just a totally different approach to mastery within the medical field than it is in anything else. How would you maybe describe the ascent of learning in that program? Yeah. Uh, so it is like le learning a language. Um, and you learn how to speak peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer, and then you learn to translate to um, met, uh, provider to patient. And I think it's probably equally as challenging to discuss um, nuances of literature or metaphor or character, you know, character development. And uh, it's different from talking to um, maybe like elementary class versus a high school class versus one of your colleagues, you know. So it definitely is a learning process in how to form the language. To be honest, I'm still, uh, I'm still learning, learning uh, how to articulate well and um, to translate some of these terms or conditions. Um, that's that's a really big thing that uh, a couple of my friends are actually working on a project on patient education because we can call, you know, a diagnosis or discuss a body part in a, in a way that, you know, the patient walks out and is confused and doesn't know why they're doing an exercise and still doesn't know what's going on. And um, that's frustrating as a provider because you want to give them uh, the best tools and have them feel informed to get that buy-in. So um, even just starting out, I guess, going back to that original question, it's kind of just exposure and uh, immersion in some of the anatomical language or discussing uh, kinetics. Uh, a lot of it's physics. Uh, everything is physics. Um, so it's just learning the language and, and kind of immersing yourself. How do you like living in California? Oh, I love living in California. Right now, it's about 70 degrees, sunny. Um, it's definitely a different pace than, than Chicagoland just because the, 
the wet, you know, snow kind of slows things down. But I do, I do love Chicago. I'm very glad I grew up um, in the Midwest and interacting with people out here is really fun to get to know them and go on hikes and go to the beach. And it's not always hikes and beaches are a lot of hard work, but, um, it is a very relaxing, um, place to kind of re rejuvenate. And as I was a swimmer, uh, while well, I call it retired now, but, uh, as I was a swimmer, just having the ocean close by and being close to water is always something that, uh, is just very helpful in maintaining a good life balance for me. Catherine, this is the time of the interview where I like to ask uh, former grads, what are some tips for success for current Wildcats? Sure. And this is such a good question. I have two. I have two that I would say. Number one is you can learn something from anyone you come across. So I think something that West Chicago, um, I really learned from my experience is it's a very diverse student population coming from a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, Never sell anybody short. Um, Whoever you're coming across, try and get to know them, see, you know, who are they as a person? Um, Because you can always be learning something um, from the person in front of you. And I think that's something that I I really would recommend, you know, um, just try and understand and learn from the person in front of you. And the second one is get comfortable in being uncomfortable. And I think, unfortunately, uh, COVID's kind of thrown us all into that category. But just taking some risks and and living, having big dreams um, is is uncomfortable. It's going to be an uncomfortable journey. But, hey, just get comfortable in being uncomfortable and um, keep pushing forward. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fun and good luck, uh, in the next part of your medical career. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple music podcasts and search. We go Vox.